Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. The 2 2. Swing and a miss. Hey, struck out. His hat goes down. That's eight strikeouts for Shane McClanahan. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week, take a look around Major League Baseball, and sit down for in depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. First pitch to him. Line back up the middle, but there is Franco. To the left of the bag, he turns and throws him out, and the Rays have won it in Atlanta. This week in Rays Baseball starts right now. And welcome to our latest program, everybody. My name is Chris Adams-Wall. We're glad to have you with us. In this week's show, we'll sit down with the first of a pair of featured guests and Jake Diekman and discuss the veteran left-hander's Major League Baseball career as well as his battle with colitis. Right-hander Zach Littell will join the show to talk about his first year with the Rays and his 2022 incident with San Francisco Giants manager Gabe Kapler. Then we'll hear from sculptor Stephen Dickey about his creation of two statues commemorating two of the most iconic moments in Rays history. Aki Iwamura stepping on second base to send the Rays to their first ever World Series in 2008 and Evan Longoria homering in game number 162 to punch the Rays' ticket to the postseason in 2011. That's all coming up next on the Rays Baseball Network. And we continue on this week in Rays Baseball with our featured guest, Zach Littell. Zach, thanks for taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having me. So you've had an interesting season. You started the year with the Texas Rangers organization. You are pitching for AAA Round Rock, and then you were traded to the Boston Red Sox. And now you're a Tampa Bay Ray. So describe what the 2023 season has been like for Zach Littell. I imagine it's been a lot. Yeah, it's been a little different. Uh, I've had a good amount of consistency over my career and decent stretches, but uh, this year has been a little a little crazy, but it's been fun. I've gotten to meet a lot of really great people, play with a lot of great guys, um, and truly all three organizations I've been with have been, have been really good to me and um, we're full of good people, so no complaints at all. Is this the most amount of teams that you've ever played for over this short a period of time in your career? Yeah, I guess it is. Yeah, um, yeah, I guess three and three and three months, really. I mean, Boston, you know, the four days that I was there, but um, yeah, it's been been quite the turnaround, I guess. You got to face the Texas Rangers though pretty recently, and you threw well. You started something that you did quite a lot of in the minors, but not so much anymore. Although that could be changing. Do you have a preference between relieving or starting? Because I know at one point you did a whole lot of starting and then you were kind of converted to a reliever in 2019. But now I think there's a chance that you might start starting again more. Yeah, I think uh, I think you're right. I think it's uh, definitely a possibility. I'm excited for it. I think there's, there's things I love about both of them. Um, relieving, it's like showing up to the field every day with the potential to play is is a lot of fun like you just never know if you're going to be in the game or not and it could be every night it could be not for a week but um, starting with the four days of you're definitely not throwing but at the same time like your start day is is kind of your day where like the day is the day is about you you get to kind of go about your business the way you want to and go out there and um, you know try and eat as many innings as you can and and help a team win so I have missed that part of it Um, but like I said there's there's pros and cons to both of them but um, I definitely have missed starting. You pitched really well in that Rangers outing, though. Three and one-third innings, just one run. You really made just one mistake serving up that solo home run. What do you think was playing so well for you in that start 
And was it especially sweet to go up against the team that traded you earlier in the year? Yeah, I mean, the storyline of like the team that trades you getting to go against them is really cool. But um, I, the people over there were incredibly good to me. Um, Chris Young, the GM, was always very honest and upfront. So um, when he called me and told me that I'd been traded, he truly, I think, thought it was the best move for me. Um, and so I was extremely grateful just to them for that. So it was cool just to see those guys in the dugout and get to kind of talk to them before the games. But, um, yeah, I, I think going out there and, and getting a start against him was a cool first one. Um, but at the end of the day, I just kind of want to get back to getting in a routine of going out there, getting stretched out, and trying to eat as many innings as I can. Um, but, yeah. You've been with the Rays now for almost three months. What's been the best part about playing for Tampa Bay? Uh, the people here are awesome. Truly, top to bottom, no bad apples. Um, everybody is super tight. Obviously, we're in a little bit of a rut right here, but this is a really good team, and teams like this don't stay down for long. So um, it's just fun. You know, anytime you're with an organization like this, it's winning and it's full of good people, and you're out here having fun doing your job. It's just a recipe for success. So. And how did this opportunity come about with the Rays? Because you mentioned you were with the Red Sox for a very short period amount of time. How did it happen? How did you end up here in St. Petersburg? Yeah, so I had that little, I had like an assignment clause, got traded over to Boston. Um, I could tell pretty quick it was going to be temporary. Uh, they just needed an arm for a couple of days. So got designated. Um, Boston told me they really hoped that I would stick around. I chose to elect free agency regardless um, just to see my options. I was throwing really well at the time. And um, I definitely was not expecting to get claimed by Tampa Bay, you know, like, Generally, when guys get claimed, it's it's by a team that's maybe searching for an arm or a, or a rebuilding team. And um, I know Tampa was having some bullpen turnover at the time, but to get to get claimed by at the time the best team of baseball is uh, was pretty cool. Um, and then getting here and like getting to meet everybody and just how truly upfront, honest, and and uh, for lack of a better word, respectful towards me um, was incredible. So. Um, yeah, I guess very happy with how it's all turned out. Yeah. Let's go back to your childhood. Now, you are from Mebane, North Carolina. I want to make sure I, I pronounce that correctly. What was it like growing up in North Carolina? I heard from Neil Solons that you used to go on a lot of cruises as a kid. Is that true? Yeah, I mean, not even as a kid. My, uh, my great-grandmother, who we'll call the matriarch of the family for a long time, used to take her five kids and all of their immediate family so a couple generations on a every other year it was a a big vacation when I was very young it was a, a resort somewhere um, and then as I got older we started doing the cruising because um, kind of getting to see a bunch of destinations really appealed to her and at the time she was she was getting older and we really just wanted her to to be able to do what she wanted to do so we started cruising in 03 or 05 something like that did it every other year till she passed and I want to say maybe 09 um, and then after that my grandfather her son uh, kind of continued it with his kids and also all my cousins and my aunts and uncles and my family um, and then we went on one every year and we started doing cruises pretty regularly and then that led into my mom really kind of taking if she was taking a vacation it was going to be a cruise so um, it got it got pretty affordable over the years where they started doing these short ones and you could you could pop out of Charleston, South Carolina, which wasn't terribly far from us. So, um, yeah, we I went through a stretch where I was going on quite a few. 
it slowed down since since my wife and I got married and had a kid and all that. But uh, uh, yeah, it's it's my mom's favorite way to travel. Yeah. Uh, she'll she'll scream from the top of the mountains how great it is, and uh, for the the value that she got, I'm sure when we, especially when we were younger, just in the food alone between me and my brother was pretty good. But um, yeah, I, I've been on a fair amount of cruises, I'd say. It got misquoted in the article that I think he was talking about. It was like 80, 80 nights in one off season, which at the time it was like 80 nights altogether wow. over the years. But um, it's gone up a little bit. But, yeah, we, we've slowed down quite a bit. But, yeah, my if I vacation with my mom, it's a cruise. That's still a lot of time on the water, though. Do you have a favorite cruise destination? Uh, I like... Aruba and Curacao, like the Western Caribbean, the desert islands, I like them a lot. And I like uh, Belize, Mexico is, is kind of one of my favorite places, too. You ever done Alaska? have not. My mom went on one this past summer. I haven't done it yet, but definitely definitely would like to do it. Well, you were drafted originally by the Seattle Mariners in the 11th round of the 2013 draft. You had been committed to play baseball at Appalachian State. Was that a difficult decision to go pro out of high school and, and forego App State? Uh, yeah, I was pretty dead set on going to App State. Uh, if you'd asked me the day of the draft, I would have said I'm, I'm going to Appalachian State. And then my name got called actually a little later than I, I think we kind of expected. Um, but kind of when presented with the opportunity to like go play right away really appealed to me. Um, I, I kind of explained it as, you know, you spend six, seven years in the minor leagues when you're eight, which I was 17 at the time, but 18. And then you debut at you know, 22, 23, 24 versus you go to college, you spend maybe a year less, five or six years in the minor leagues, you're 26, 27, 28. So the thought was, was prolonging my career as much as I could. Um, but I truly loved App State. Boone, North Carolina is still one of my favorite places to go. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess it, it, it ended up being a little bit harder than I thought. I thought it would be easy. I thought it was gonna be an easy no, but um, here we are. Yeah. And what was your time like in the Seattle Mariners organization? Because you were eventually traded to the New York Yankees in 2017, uh, and then you ended up with the Twins as well. What was your time like early on with Seattle? That must have been interesting, right? I mean, a kid from from Mebbin, North Carolina, you're fresh out of high school, you're trying to learn what the minor leagues are all about? Yeah, I think a lot of it. I mean, I was 17 when I was drafted. We flew to Seattle for a week with my mom, and then um, my mom got on a flight to North Carolina, and I got a flight to Arizona and that was my truly my first time ever being alone and um, lived in a hotel for the summer and didn't play particularly well you know you go from being a big fish in a small pond in the in North Carolina high school baseball sure. to even the Arizona league where everybody's still really talented you know so um, I had a lot of growing up to do and like you said just kind of learning to be a professional Seattle Seattle, more than anywhere, I had multiple pitching coaches that I would credit just kind of teaching me how to go about my business um, while also developing as a pitcher. But like I said, especially at that young age, it's so much about just kind of learning the routine of baseball and, and learning how to go about the 150, 160 days of, of baseball that you go through after going through, you know, 20 games of high school baseball. So um, it was an adjustment, but... It, I would say progressively year to year, it got a lot more fun for me, and a lot of that probably had to do with me just learning the ropes a little bit more and more. So that was, uh, I still have a lot of good friends that played with me in Seattle that are still in baseball and some are out, but um, 
those groups of the lower minors are the ones that you get really tight with just yeah. because you're going through it with all of them. Uh-huh. So um, I've got a lot of fond memories. So were those guys the ones you leaned on early on when you were trying to figure it all out? And, and, and what was the first time you were really alone in your life? Yeah, I would say the Arizona League, I – I didn't enjoy baseball for that summer, you know. Like you just being away. I didn't. I didn't play well. Um, that's hot. Like, yeah, it was so <laughs> hot. Yeah, that was the other thing. But, but um, and and I didn't have. I didn't have a car. Like I lived in a hotel, a quarter mile from the stadium. So you're confined to that area, you know. Like you're not getting out, and and you're broke. So, uh-huh, but yeah. um, no, it was uh. I have a lot of really good friends that were made that summer, and kind of we, we stuck together for those next couple of years. Um, and I still talk to some of them were in my wedding. So it's um, they're they're super important years. I think for any high school guys like should have to go through those. You know, college guys kind of put in their time, whether it's fall ball and the four years of kind of grinding with those guys. But um, it definitely made me a better player and person overall. But uh, yeah, it, it was hard for sure. Then you went from the Mariners to the Yankees to the Twins. And in 2017, the team you pitched for, the Chattanooga Lookouts, you're nodding, you know this. We were both at the same stadium. You were taking on the double-A affiliate of the Rays, the Montgomery Biscuits. That was an unbelievable series, though, wasn't it? I mean, it went five games. The championship series was actually canceled because of a hurricane. So that was really for all the marbles. And Chattanooga was far and away the best team in the league that year. I think they had 91 wins. I think Joe Maurer's brother was the manager, right? You pitched on that team. The Biscuits were three outs away from a championship, from a co-championship, I guess it would be. But they were up 2-1 to one in the ninth. Then Lamont Wade Jr., former Giant, or excuse me, current Giant, singles. And then Jonathan Rodriguez hits one to Nashville. What do you remember about that? That must have been one of the better teams you played on in the minors, yeah? Yeah, it's funny. I, I tell that that was the year I was traded from the Yankees to the Twins. Mm-hmm. So I was only in Chattanooga, I guess, from the deadline to August 1 to the end of the season. And uh, that team was incredible. I, I threw okay the rest of the year. I, I, I had a couple starts where, you know, five, six innings, two, three, four runs, whatever it was. But I went 6-0, and you know. Like, it was just the offense was putting up ridiculous numbers. And, right. Uh, every team that I played for that year was like that. I started with the Tampa Yankees in high A, who ended up going to their league championship and losing. Same thing, though. You know, you, it, we were putting up eight, nine runs a game. I went to Trenton, same thing. They played in their league championship and lost on a walk-off. Um, and then I got to Chattanooga and played for another. Like, it was truly, I think if you were to go back, it was probably the three best teams in the minor leagues that year. And uh, so I think I finished with, like, a 19-1 and record that year, and it was just like – People were like, that's crazy. But truly, I had bad starts. We just, you could get through five innings. You had a good chance of winning. So, sure. um, no, it was a blast. That that team was truly one of the most fun groups I've ever been around. We had a good time playing. Um, obviously never quit all the way down to the last one. But uh, I was charting for that. Wow. So I was in the stands when he hit that home run, and we sprinted oh. out to the field. It was, it was a lot of fun. Um, Sucks that it had to end quick because of the, the weather down mm-hmm. here, but uh, probably best for everybody involved. But then shortly thereafter, you got to make your major league debut with that organization, with the Minnesota Twins. So tell us what your call-up was like and what was making your major league debut like. Yeah, it was it was really cool. So I um, I was in AAA, Rochester. We had just gone to Durham, which was cool for me. It was the first time that I ever played really close to home. Uh-huh. Um, and I didn't get to pitch in Durham. I remember that. Um 
I was supposed to pitch in Norfolk the next series, and we got to Norfolk, and they called me in, and like, hey, you're, we had a doubleheader. You're going to go up. You're going to start game two of the doubleheader, which it was awesome. It was truly the cliche that you hear all the time of, like, the dream come true. But um, got there, pitched terribly. Like, <laughs> I think it was, like, four-plus innings, six runs. Like, I remember uh, striking the first guy I faced out. On like a on some ridiculous 96, 97 mile an hour fastball, which just wasn't in in my arsenal at the time. <laughs> and that's how you knew it was just gonna go downhill after that. Mm-hmm. I think uh, went like double and then home run. So anyway, um, it was it was truly the day I just tried to soak in the day as much as I could. You know, you nobody except for you is ever gonna remember your debut. Um, so I just tried to enjoy the day as much as I could. I mean. The, all that suffering I did in, in Arizona, we'll call it suffering, but um, it's all for that. And it truly was one of the coolest days and definitely most nerve-wracking day I've had. But um, it was awesome. Again, I've I've been lucky. Minnesota was also full of great people. Rocco Baldelli um, obviously was a, a big part of the Rays organization for a long time. He was incredible to me as a young guy. Um, and so... Same thing. I just I didn't have any complaints. I was extremely grateful for the twins just to to give me the opportunity and to and to kind of stick with me for as long as they did. So. And then you made your way to the San Francisco Giants. I think I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about the altercation between you and and the Giants manager Gabe Kapler. We talked about it before this interview started. Give the listeners a kind of a treetops version of what happened because. As you explained it to me, it doesn't sound like it was that big a deal. Yeah, first, I mean, I have I have nothing but respect for Cap and, and, and the whole organization, truly. They were good to me for two years. Um, I think if you if you were to talk to Dave Kappel right now, or if I saw him right now, we would be able to catch up and, and have a great conversation. So um, I think we were, in a, we were in a tight game. Um, he came out to get me, and I, wanted, I told him that I wanted to pitch for Matt Olson, and um, that was truly just a – you know, I want I want the ball all the time. You know, whoever's in the box, it doesn't matter to me. I just want to pick. So, um, the way it went about and the way it came out on the mound definitely was was not what I intended. But um, I think we had conversation after, and uh, was kind of able to to tell him that I was in the wrong and that I was sorry for how it happened. And um, yeah, that was just kind of it got it got a little bit more blown up by the media than, than I think it. I would have liked, and that even that he would have liked, but um, yeah, it was just one of those things that kind of happens in a in a close game in the heat of the moment, and um, you know those things happen. You don't always see them, but um, hopefully it's the last time for me. But <laughs> but you you see it every year from different guys around the league, and and it's just we're all out here just trying to compete and do our job. So um, yeah, that's one of those examples though where the optics were way worse than what actually happened, right? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's a uh, I'm, I'm definitely not denying that the video doesn't look great. Um, but I think if you were to ask anybody that, that knows me at all, and even Gabe, he would, I'm, not that, I'm not a confrontational guy. I'm not, a, I'm not even really a big emotional guy. You know, there wasn't a whole lot to it. It was just kind of uh, I just wanted to let Cap know that, that I want the ball and that I want the ball in the first inning. I want it in the ninth inning. I want it if Aaron Judge is hitting or if, you know, whoever. You're a competitor. That's right, yeah. I try to be, yeah. <laughs> Last question before I get you out of here, Zach. Doug Wechter on the radio broadcast a couple of days ago was talking about your beard. He said that he believes you have the best beard in Major League Baseball. 
your response. I believe that too. <laughs> no, I mean, that's awesome that he said that. That somebody else also feels that way. Yes. But, um, no, I just turned it up. I had a little wedding to go to over the break, so mm-hmm. I, I thought it would be respectful to them to trim my beard. I didn't know if they wanted that. But, um, yeah, I, uh, I had a really good one in San Francisco for a year, and I trimmed it up. I, I think I'm going to let it go for the end of the year. Well, hopefully it gets back to it. But that's uh, it's always great to hear that somebody else feels the same way I do. So. Absolutely. I, th- I think I'm, in, I'm part of that camp as well. Well, we thank you for taking the time, Zach Littell. Best of luck the rest of the season, and we'll talk to you again soon. Sweet. We really appreciate Zach Littell for taking the time to tell his story that took him all the way from Mebane, North Carolina, to St. Petersburg, Florida, and all the stops in between. Coming up, part two of our interview with Rays reliever Jake Diekman. Stay with us. We're coming right back on the Rays Baseball Network. And welcome back to This Week in Rays Baseball. In last week's program, we sat down for a lengthy chat with Tampa Bay reliever Jake Diekman and discussed the Southpaw's upbringing in Nebraska, as well as raising his own two little girls. This week, we continue on with Jake Diekman and discuss his journey through Major League Baseball, which has included a fierce battle with colitis. I mean, I probably disappointed a lot of people back home. Uh, they probably wanted really? To, Why? Because they probably wanted me to pitch for Nebraska. Yeah, sure. Um, but hey, it's my decision. <laughs> it is your decision. I'm not, I'm not too big on like what my decision. Well, I get like my decision should be really good. But now that I'm older, like if I decide something and somebody else is butthurt about it, it really doesn't bother me anymore. <laughs> but you started your career with the Phillies as a starter. But then you were converted to a reliever in 2009. Apparently some minor league coaches recommended you drop your arm slot a little bit. They Tell both, us about that story. They both coach over here. Really? Yeah. Yeah, we got the Phillies over here. Have you talked to them yet? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they remember you, I'm guessing, huh? Yeah. They, I, like, grew up right in front of them. Mm-hmm. Or, like, they made me grow up. Uh-huh. Uh, but, yeah, it's good. The longer you play this game... You'll run into people that you've been with for a month or a year mm-hmm. or five years. Like, you just run into people that you cross paths with, and uh, it's really, really cool. What was that day like, though, where they decided to experiment with you and lowering that arm slot, and, and how did that feel initially? Well, first, that meeting, it was either let's try to lower your arm slot or a release meeting, and I was like, I'll do the first part. <laughs> um but yeah, they put me on the Phantom DL for like two weeks just to get used to it. And then after that, my velo like spiked. I feel like it's just a more athletic way to throw for me. And it utilizes like my body and the way it moves better. So I did that and then took off. Yeah, you had no complaints. I remember when I was broadcasting in the minors and I would talk to different pitchers and say, Oh, are you okay being a reliever or are you okay being a starter? And they would all say, whatever gets me to the big leagues faster, I'm doing that. And that was the case with you too, yeah? Yep, 100%. <laughs> and you made your big league debut on May 15th of 2012. What do you remember about that day? I got the win because Hunter Pence hit a walk-off homer. <laughs> really? Yep. And where was that? Was that at Citizens Bank Park? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Amazing. And then in 2014... You were one of four pitchers who combined for a no-hitter in the Phillies' win over the Atlanta Braves. This was at Turner Field, their old stadium. 
What was that day like? Yeah, it was about 110. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it was like a Fox game because then Rosenthal interviewed us on the field. Uh-huh. Um, but on, in Turner Field in the summer, the bullpen was so extremely hot. Yeah. Uh, like, I was running in, and I had no idea we had a no-hitter. <laughs> like, cause you and you s- pitched in the game. Yeah, because you sit back so far in the actual, like, bullpen where we warm up that you can't really see the game. Like, you have no idea what's going on. Because it's so hot that you just want to get out of the sun. So sure. I started warming up, and I looked up. At the, I was running in, looked on the scoreboard, and I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> Had you been a part of a combined no-hitter before? Maybe in the minor leagues, but mm-hmm. that was the first one. Then in 2015, you were traded to the Texas Rangers in the Cole Hamels deal. And you actually became an important piece to that Rangers bullpen and their run-up to the playoffs. What do you remember about that team? I think we showed up. When we showed up after we got traded, I think we were like seven and a half games back. Maybe like six and a half, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Six or seven games back of Houston. And I think we caught them on the last day of the year. Mm-hmm. And then just, like, that team was so, so good. And then all of a sudden, Batista hits that homer. Yes. Eh, whatever. That was a wild game, though. Is that the loudest stadium you've ever been inside? That was this the loudest thing I've ever been a part of. <laughs> but you weren't the one who gave it up, right? No, because we had a delay for like 30 minutes because mm-hmm. uh, call it home. Yep. Chu and Rugned, the catcher, I think Martin threw it back, hit Chu's bat. It bounced off. Rugned scored. They reviewed it. They talked about it. We had like a 30-minute delay because everyone was chucking beers on the field. Mm-hmm. And then we had to like also continue playing the game. And it just got like back and forth the whole game. Now back in 2017, some of our listeners probably don't know this, but you've had your own fair share of health challenges. You underwent surgery for chronic ulcerative colitis. What has that been like, that, that struggle with, with colitis? I got diagnosed when I was 10, and then we would always take pills or biologic, like get an infusion or IVs in. Um, and then, yeah, and after 16, um, I lost like 20 pounds within a couple weeks. Uh, they flew me up to like Mayo and down to Texas to like figure out what the heck was going on. I've had colitis, I had colitis for so, so long that the doctors were like, hey, you've tried like basically everything. We could put you on like a new biologic, like a new IV or new pills, but it would be like, it could work for six months and then you start tapering off and your body gets used to it. And I was like, all right, what's surgery? And they were like, well, we take, we do a total colectomy. We take the whole thing out. You'll have a bag for six, seven months, and then we'll reverse it, and it'll be good. I'm like, all right, let's do that. And then four days later, we did it. I was like, I don't want to do it on my 30th birthday, which was the 21st of January. So we did it the 25th, and then... And so you've been good since? Yeah, good. Wow. But you also started a nonprofit, didn't you, called Gut It Out? Tell us about that. We started it for, like, kids. Like, I know what it's like to be a kid and have like stomach issues you really don't want to talk to your parents about it you think it's sort of embarrassing mm-hmm. um you don't want to go to the doctor but you need to you need to like you need to listen to the doctor if he wants to take pills or do whatever like i, I get the stresses that kids have i get that they're not always like super open mm-hmm. to the people like in their circle uh if we can like raise awareness 
and funds to do more research and think of better ways to like go about the situations for everyone. Um, that's the that's the biggest thing. Um, I think we have we try to bring 15, 20, 30 kids, whatever it is, to away stadiums. Like we'll pick random hospitals. I think we have like four left. Uh, but yeah, like I love getting say 30 kids in a room that have all went through the same things I have or are going through it or are going to like scheduled out going through it where they'll bring their parents, their brothers or sisters or whoever. And within the first couple minutes, I know they don't want to talk, but then I'll ask them about like video games or like mm-hmm. get the ball rolling. Then all of a sudden they were just like pinging off each other and they're opening up and like talking about stuff and if they can feel more comfortable talking to me, like I'm sort of like a athlete that they could look look up to. It's not their parent, mm-hmm. it's not their doctor. Like if they can open up and their parent or brother or sister or friend like learn something about them that they're not normally talking about, that's that's the biggest thing. Well, that's really incredible. It's one thing to go through what you've been through, but it's another to do something about it and try to help other people. Where did that inspiration come from? Uh, me and my wife, we just talked about it. I was going through surgery and I was like, we've got to do something. And she was like, I agree. And she's great. Like, we'll do those like Q&A things and within 30 minutes, kids are talking. And then I have to go because I slotted like an hour because we're just like, busy all day but mm-hmm. my wife will stay there talk to the families talk to the parents and like if they need anything if we can just raise awareness and make kids more comfortable talking about it out loud then that's the end goal well we really appreciate you taking the time with us today jake congratulations on landing with the rays and all of the success that you've had so far and congratulations on your nonprofit. that's so cool that you started that Best of luck the rest of the year. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And we'll go to another break, but when we return, local sculptor Stephen Dickey joins us to discuss his two statues set to be unveiled outside of Tropicana Field on September 23rd. That's all coming up next on the Rays Baseball Network. So we continue on this week in Rays Baseball with sculptor Stephen Dickey. Stephen, thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you, Chris. Thanks for uh, asking me to do this. Well, the Rays announced earlier this week that they have plans to unveil some slightly larger-than-life-size statues commemorating a couple of the top moments in Rays history. This is their 25th anniversary season. The first moment is Aki Iwamura stepping on second base to send the Rays to their first-ever World Series in 2008. And the second moment is, of course, Evan Longoria's home run in Game 162 in 2011. But you have sculpted both of these Stephen Dickey so tell us about how this opportunity came about and what your process is like for creating these two okay I think I was invited to this because of the Dave Andrichuk piece I had done a number of years ago uh with him holding up the Stanley Cup that's outside uh Amelie, Amelie Stadium over there and uh they must have seen that and asked who, who did it? And they remembered my name. <laughs> and, and so they did give me, uh, the race gave me a call and asked if I could come over and, and do these two figures. But I'm guessing that uh, you're a sports yeah, fan, right? Of, 
Uh, I, I, you know, I don't watch as much sports as as I should. My brother has my brother has that gene. I'm, I was the art gene, so it's like uh, I, I spent my time drawing. He's my brother spent his time playing basketball and softball, so we're kind of opposite ends of the uh, spectrum there. But uh, certainly, I, I follow it uh, local sports when I can. And and what is your process and, and for sculpting two moments like 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 Longoria and Iwamura? Yes, uh, the, uh, the race sent me the pictures, and I I really do like doing the sports figures. You know, I do I've done a lot of portrait work and a lot of other figures, but the sports figures give you a chance to both get into the to get into that moment where there's a lot of movement and there's a lot of emotion. And it gives you, you know, it gives you a chance to to say something about about the piece, and and with these two figures, uh, both of them in 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 high regard, and both of them just excited about what they had just done and what they had done for the Rays themselves. Uh, it, it, there's a lot of emotion there, so that this is this has been a fun piece to do. So, what kind of material did you use to sculpt both of these? And how long did it take you to do both of them? Or it, are they even finished yet? Uh, they're not finished in bronze. They are, they're, they're in the process. Uh, the castings will probably start in another week or two. The, the, the bronze castings themselves. When I do my work, I'm primarily uh, working in clay. I can use any material I want, whatever will give me the, the movement and, and the textures and the shapes I want, but it's primarily clay. And so once I finish the clay piece, uh, that'll get cut up and I'll take it to the foundry. At the foundry, it gets mold. There's a, they do a big rubber mold over it. And then from the rubber mold, they can pull a wax duplication. So you'll have the whole piece again there, not in clay, but in wax, it's a hollow wax. From that point on, that wax gets cut into different sections and it's, it is encased in a second mold material called a slurry and the wax is burnt out of that. And then at a week later, bronze is poured in to take place of all that wax. And then, and then that, that second mold, that's that uh, slurry material is chipped off and sandblasted off so that the, uh, the foundry men down there can start putting the, the bronze sections back together. It, it, it's a very time consuming long process most people even a lot of sculptors don't even know what goes into it so uh yeah a lot of man hours and 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 but i will say about the foundry it's it's bronze art foundry down in sarasota i've used them all my life i worked there for a couple years right out of art school and the guys down there are artists in themselves and they will they will weld these back together and even copy the artist's own signature uh marks to make it so you can't you you will never know where where something is put back together or not they'll all look like solid pieces so once you are done with both statues aki iwamura yes. and evan longoria which are going to be unveiled outside tropicana field on september 23rd how long will each of those taken you to do uh we've been working on it the process is usually about a year i like to have a year to work on a piece uh, gives me chance to get away from it, come back and forth to it because uh, me at least 
I make a lot of mistakes and have to come back and make the corrections. And you don't see the corrections until you've been away from it for a while uh, and you get a new eye on it. And then, uh, so I'd like to have at least six months from my end of it, you know, and then the foundry likes to have at least four months for their process, you know, four to five months for their process. So the, the whole thing takes about a year. Now we've done both these pieces in the same year. Uh, I'm usually working on more than one piece at a time. But a, a year is a nice, comfortable spot to be in. And finally, yeah, I, I saw we, that you went to the University of South Florida, where you got your BA in chemistry and psychology. So I am wondering, how yeah. did you become a sculptor? Uh, it was a convoluted way of, of, of going through school. I All my life, I had wanted to be an artist. I drew from grade school on. I was doing drawings. And uh, when I got out of, when I was graduating high school, uh, I w was looking at art schools to go to. But my, my dad, rest his soul, being concerned about his son becoming an artist, had convinced me to try a couple of other avenues, you know, a couple other occupations, which I did do, hence the chemistry degree and the, and, and the psych degree. Uh, but in, in the end, uh, I, I think through the psychology, I probably learned more about myself than the people I was dealing with. So uh it it taught me that i needed to go to art school finally uh, so when i went to art school i was uh 28 i was 10 years older than most of the people in that school uh but i was serious about it so it, you know it gave me a chance to you know to have a little background you know to work off of well we're glad you decided to make the transition to sculptor and we can't wait to see these finished products on september 23rd aki iwamura stepping on second in 2008 and evan longoria hitting the big home run in 2011 in game 162 fans are also going to receive a couple of figurines the replicas of both statues that day so that'll be exciting but stephen dickey thank you so much for taking the time today it's great to talk to you and we can't wait to see the finished products and I, I can't wait to be there and enjoy it. And, and I, Chris, I thank you very, very much. This is a nice opportunity. And we certainly appreciate Stephen Dickey's time on This Week in Rays Baseball. And we can't wait to see both of those statues. And we also want to thank all of our other guests on the show today, including Rays right-handed pitcher Zach Littell for offering us insight into his baseball career and a look inside that altercation with Gabe Kapler, the San Francisco Giants manager last season, as well as lefty Jake Diekman's time for sharing his inspiring story concerning his battle with colitis. And by the way, in just about 30 minutes time, former Tampa Bay Devil Ray Fred McGriff will be inducted into the National Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, New York. Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times is currently up there to cover it. And he published an article yesterday with some quotes from Fred McGriff that I think I can share with you now. Apparently, McGriff is pretty good at handling the stress because during a 19-year Major League career, he went to the postseason five different times and played in the inaugural contest in Rays franchise history. And McGriff said, quote, during the regular season, you're fine every night for the most part. When you get into the playoffs and the World Series, that first inning, you usually get butterflies and so forth. Then once you get the ball or the ground ball hit to you or you have the first at bat, now it's just another baseball game. 
So I'm pretty sure Sunday or even later Saturday you start getting butterflies and I'll rehearse my speech again. And then once I board that bus to head over to the sports center where the induction is held, that's when it's going to really start like, oh boy, Fred, it's almost game time. But an exciting moment for Fred McGriff, one of the more iconic players to play for the Tampa Bay Devil Rays, and he obviously had an illustrious career with the other teams he suited up for, most notably perhaps the uh, Atlanta Braves, with whom he helped win a World Series in 1995. So we'll look forward to watching Fred McGriff go into the Hall of Fame, 493 career home runs, and he, of course, was notified that he was going into the Hall of Fame on or uh, in December of last year. So that's coming your way around 1.30, which will be near the end of our pregame show, which is coming right up. But we do want to thank Stephen Dickey once again, Zach Littell, and Jake Dietman. And if you ever have something you want to hear on the show, all you have to do is tweet me, and you can do so fairly easily at Chris Adams Wall and at Rays Radio. Thanks to Derek DeBose back at our network studios, plus additional assistance from Andy Freed, Neil Solons, Chris Miller, as well as Becca Carney, Parker Welch, and Alex Fuse. I'm Chris Adams-Wall, and we also want to once again extend our congratulations to former Tampa Bay Devil Ray Fred McGriff, who again, in about 30 minutes' time, will be inducted into the National Baseball Hall of Fame. He'll have his own plaque and everything, and he'll go in there along with former Cardinal, Red, and Philadelphia Philly, Scott Rowland, the famous third baseman. We're getting set for the Rays and the Orioles, though. The series finale from Tropicana Field. Taj Bradley will take on Tyler Wells in a battle of right-handers. Bradley is 5-6 and six with an ERA of 5.29. Wells is 7-5 and five with an ERA of 3.54. And if the Rays can win here on this Sunday afternoon, then they will once again tie the Baltimore Orioles for the top spot, not only in the American League East, but in the American League, period. The Rays have had a tough month of July. They're just 4-13 this month, and the Orioles are 12-6 here in the month of July. But we'll see if the Rays can rest away that top spot away from the Birds here this afternoon at Tropicana Field. Taj Bradley against Tyler Wells as Tampa Bay tries to salvage a series split. That is going to do it for us, though, on This Week in Rays Baseball. Stay tuned for next week when we'll sit down with Rays reliever Bob Stevenson and Rays third base coach Brady Williams. We'll see you then. Enjoy the game, everybody. Thank you for listening to This Week in Rays Baseball. Breaking ball lifted in the air, way up there, into right field and deep. Judge is going back towards the corner at the wall. Gone! And the Rays jump in front 4-1. to one. If you missed any of the show, catch it at RaysBaseball.com slash radio.